0: Welcome to Chaotic Harmony. My name is John.
1: This is Crystal. I'm Mark. I'm Zoe. We talk about the joys and the challenges of teaching music in the elementary school classroom. We share inspiration. We share struggles. We brainstorm solutions. We would love to have you join us.
2: We are back. Welcome. We have our friend, Krista Crawford Valency here with us today. And I'm so excited because I have known Krista for a few years because we actually worked together at Rosebank and then now we are music teacher colleagues so I could not wait to get her on our show and uh, yeah so Krista do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe like what brought you to teaching in Chula Vista?
3: Yeah, well, guys, thank you for having me. I can't believe you're having me on. Um, I'm I'm like the new kid um, at the at the school, so I'm really honored that you'd have me on. Um, I let's see, I'm, I'm I'm new to Discovery this year. Um, Zoe mentioned I was at Rosebank before that, and I was at Montgomery before that, and I was at Feaster before that. So I've hopped around the district for about ten years.
4: You, I think, um, were at. Well, you're the Miss Valencia I heard about because one of your names came in because you led the Glegals, yes.
3: I did lead the Glegals, that was you. that's <laughs> the best oh, name ever. Did you oh come up goodness. with that name? I did, that's oh, I, was oh. pretty, I was pretty proud of that one. That's, <laughs> that's so
4: a good amazing. one. <laughs> I had never put two and two together. Now yeah. that I that's so fun, yeah. So I was
3: <laughs> teaching fifth there, and um. My kids love to sing, and so I we, we kind of just started. It was a really casual, fun little thing, and they took to it really well. Um, and it was fun for me because I hadn't done any kind of music teaching for several years. I, I started as a music teacher, but only for maybe half a year in San Diego, and that wasn't a full-time thing. So mm-hmm. when I was offered a position at Feaster, I took it. Um, okay. And then top fifth, sixth grade for several years. And then after um, Rosebank, I moved back to LA where I'm from. um, And that was a crazy turn of events. But I ended up coming right back here. And uh, when this position opened at Discovery, and so here I am, I'm really excited to be back. Um, And going to LA really made me realize how amazing our district is, and Mm -hmm. um, our colleagues and just the collaboration model that we have here is not, it's not the norm. So and you taught in L.A.? I did. I taught only okay. one year. Okay. I only lasted a year. Mm. <laughs> um, I taught in South Central. And oh wow! Um, it, it, I always thought I was a culturally responsive teacher because I worked mm-hmm. at Montgomery and Feaster and all these schools. But it really opened my eyes. Um, I had a lot to learn and the challenges were real. And mm-hmm. the trauma there was just... Unlike anything I had seen, even at Montgomery, even at Feaster, this just it—it it was a whole different ball game. So I learned a mm-hmm. lot, and um, I guess partly to cope with the stress of that job, I started singing again, which I hadn't done in about ten years. And uh, you're a I jazz singer, again. right? I—I in a past life, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but that's your—is tra- that your training, right? Yeah, my yeah. my. My background was in jazz studies, um, but I I got really burned out on actually singing from Mm. from college. Um, So I stopped. I didn't sing for many, many years. And then when I went to L.A., I needed something um, because work was just so stressful. So I started singing at a couple churches and taking on little projects and I really, I really realized, oh, I do like this. I forgot I actually like to sing. Um, so it's interesting how everything has come full circle now. Because I, I, a couple of years ago, I wasn't singing at all. I wasn't around music. I wasn't playing anything. I wasn't teaching any music. And then now it feels like all of my work and all of my projects are back um, in music. So it's, it's wild. You never, know. you never know where
1: your path will go. <laughs> yeah. No. You definitely well, don't.
3: I always
2: felt like, after I met you, Krista, I was like, I was bound to meet you at some point in my life because you went to Santa Monica High School, right?
3: I did. Yes. Yeah. And I, uh,
2: so I grew up in LA and I did some workshops when I was in high school at Samo High. And it was like the music program in LA. I actually saw Beethoven's, uh, Fifth Symphony performed live for the first time oh, in wow. the auditorium in at Samohi.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful and it was, there. It
2: was just one of those moments that I will never forget.
3: So, yeah, Samohi was. Um, I'm I'm very lucky to have been there. I actually didn't start there until my junior year of high school because I had moved around several places. I got lucky. I couldn't read music before that. I really hadn't had any formal music education at all. Um, So I didn't start to really pursue that until until I went to Samohi, and um, it was like boot camp <laughs> in a year yeah. and a half. Um, and I worked my way up the choirs pretty fast. But then, interestingly, my my choir teacher Chris Rhodes he was he's he's just remarkable and brilliant and all the amazing things. But after I moved to Texas to study music, he ended up moving there a year later. Um, for unrelated reasons. But so we stayed in touch in Dallas. And then now I still talk to him like pretty much every day, actually. So I feel really lucky to have um, to have been at Santa Monica. It it really is. They have an excellent program there.
2: That is so special. So normally we ask um, our guests to talk about a teacher that's just made an impact on you. And that's really cool that you have that relationship with your teacher.
3: Yeah, because uh, it's, it's nice. I don't have a background in music education, because I was a performance major. And I, mm-hmm. um, I do have a background performing and doing some studio work, but not... And I have a background in teaching, but music ed is its own thing. I'm not or certified i don't have like formal kodai training yes, <laughs> I, I wasn't hired on yet when you guys did all that uh last year oh, it's, but it's coming back it's, no, we won't. it's coming and i'll uh, be there i'm
1: ready um,
3: but it's nice okay. to have those those supports and um to, to keep in touch with those connections you've made throughout the years, and um, I've been really aware of that, especially in this whole... Well, in my my shift into teaching music, but also in this change that we're going through with distance learning, just being aware that anything you're trying to do, somebody you know is already an expert in that thing, and you don't need to be an island all by yourself trying to figure it out. I've been nagging Zoe all year and calling all my different musician friends and... So somebody in your life is an expert in everything that you want to do. And so I feel yeah. really lucky because I have a lot
1: of amazing people. Um, and isn't to- that a shift from that conservatory training that you burned out on in college, right? Where mm-hmm. you're just like thrown to the wolves and you better be the best and you better get there all by yourself yep. um, to, to the music ed mindset or what it should be, I think. Ideally, where you should be able to tap all of your friends and, and be like, hey, we're all on this mission together yeah absolutely. There's no mm-hmm. reason
3: it's not a zero sum game right There's room for everyone to be great. There's room for everyone to do what they need to do um yeah. so I'm just really grateful. I think Chula vista is is well above and ahead of the curve with their collaboration model and i'm really I'm excited to have all of you as supports and um as colleagues. Because, gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just
1: making it up as
3: I go. Uh, so you do, though. Well, <laughs> so- I think we all, we all know what we know. And then yeah, sure. as, you, as you work with others, you, you expand that. And right. you realize what you don't know. And mm-hmm. you, you're able to fill in those gaps as you go. Um, when, you have, when you have that network and that community, you can't do it on your own. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> Oh, I, I think can't that either.
4: that's one of the great things. Uh, I shouldn't say great, but like one of the positive things that COVID has kind of unleashed mm-hmm. is that that realization that you have to rely on other people. the realization that there are like there's so many talented people out there, and mm-hmm. um like just even within our VAPA department, you know, like being able to talk with the theater teachers and the visual art teachers and like actually have that face to face, well, quote unquote face to face, that Zoom call with them and like be able to realize that like there is there's so much and that we're all in this together and like like together we can go so much farther than we can alone you know and i and i appreciate yeah. you saying that cuz like that's for us for the podcast and like what one of the things that was kind of the heart behind why we did this is we didn't want people to feel alone you know like you're right. in this together and so like reaching out is that's so cool you know like you've done that and we're glad that you're here
3: Thank you. Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, and Krista, I had the uh, fortune of being able to, like, see you in your fifth grade, fifth, sixth grade classroom at Rose Bank. And I remember distinctly you had little signs all around your room that said, we can do hard things. And I don't know if that is tied to your, like, philosophy. But if you I, – I, I'm just thinking, like, now as we're all trying to teach – With new technology and students being so far away, now more than ever, I am thinking about that. So I don't know if you talk a little bit about your things.
3: Yeah, um, I don't remember where I got that, but um, I've been using that for several years. I know that it wasn't my creation. I I heard it somewhere. (laughs) Some teacher might have had that up in her room, and it it really struck me. Um, There was this... There was this movement, the the grit and resiliency movement, several years back, the Angela Duckworth research and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of that really kind of transformed, I think, how a lot of us see learning and the feedback we give to kids and how we really are responsible for becoming their inner voice and the way that we talk to kids matters. <laughs> and if, if they're with a teacher all day long, every day of the year... That's a big contributing factor to what is um, going to become their inner voice. And mm-hmm. so I think that they're, especially in populations where you have high trauma rates and um, kids maybe aren't as resilient as some other kids are, I think that it's important to give kids the confidence to know that you actually can do something hard. And even if you fail, it's really okay. So part of what I try to do with that is, is have kids walk through the, I call it the what if game. So like, what if you tried to make a YouTube video and your microphone didn't work? Like, mm-hmm. what if? Well, then I would be frustrated. Okay, and then what? Well, then I would be mad. Okay, and then what? And if you really follow it out, they, it helps them realize this isn't the end of the world. I'm not a terrible person. My life, I still have my basic needs met. Just because I fail at a learning task, it doesn't mean that I have failed or that I'm a failure. And I really don't think that there's any other way to get good at something or to acquire new skills or to refine skills that you have, sorry, that you have, um, unless you are comfortable with failing. Uh, There's just no shortcuts. And so I guess that was my that's what I was trying to push is, is just that it's, it's okay to fail. Um, nothing bad will happen.
2: I loved seeing it every single time. <laughs> oh, so, thank you for, for that message.
3: I'm surprised you remembered.
2: that. It, it made an impact <laughs> on me because it, it was hard being a teacher, a music teacher. I felt it every single day.
3: <laughs> I know it's hard to, it's hard to come on as an arts teacher. Mm-hmm. where there's already an established community, and I'm experiencing
1: that now. Talk to so, me about that. I want to hear about your shift from music teacher to classroom teacher back to music teacher and what that's been like.
3: I did not expect to be teaching music again. I thought for sure mm-hmm. I would be um, – I just thought I would be in the classroom. I, my Ooh, graduate degree was in then? language arts. <laughs> um, honestly, I think that it took a big – kind of jolt from moving into L.A., working in L.A. Unified, it was a major shock to my system in every way. (laughs) Um, And I think it took something major like that for me to realize that actually, I didn't realize it until after the fact, but what helped me survive that was that I was singing and I was around musicians on the Mm -hmm. weekend. And I realized that was such a critical um, coping mechanism for me and so it kind of called my attention back to just having music in my life at all and then i it also made me realize okay i really do like teaching in chula vista um and i like the people i worked with so when i when i contacted uh, our former principal i said hey do you have any openings i was kind of just goofing off just kind of feeling out what was there um and he said yeah i have a music spot And my first inclination was like, I'm not qualified. I don't know music (laughs) education. I teach in the classroom. Um, But I just, I was so desperate to get out of my job in LA that it was a big enough catalyst for me to take that risk. I think if I had never moved to LA, I never would have taught music again. So Mm -hmm. I think that that was necessary to get me back onto a path that involved music in any way and especially as my job um i wouldn't have i wouldn't have made that that change otherwise wow i
2: find that really fascinating because i feel like we're collectively in a huge big moment that's causing us to change how we do things and Krista, you've been doing so much with technology like you've You've contributed to our uh, Chula Vista YouTube channel, and then you've also been doing like some really cool stuff with your own school. And I was wondering if you could you could share like how you are. Lauren, we had Lauren on last week, and she talked about moving forward. We can't go back to the back to what things were. So, like, how mm-hmm. are you moving forward right now?
3: I have always tried to see technology in the classroom. Um, from a specific kind of workflow standpoint so the goal should not be i want to create a youtube video um that's too open-ended and frankly it can be a misuse of time and resources so i try to start with like the learning goal in mind what is it that i'm trying to get kids to accomplish or to learn or to do um So if the goal is I want kids to learn a folk song from my childhood and then I want them to discover one of their own by talking to their family, um, then maybe a YouTube video is great for that. But if the goal is I want to do a lesson on music appreciation and expose kids to the music of Miles Davis. Maybe a YouTube lesson is not the best format for that, and maybe I don't need to teach that lesson. Uh, Maybe I can put them on a website where they have already carefully curated this information and the music, and maybe I can just direct kids that way while I put my energy into something like a virtual choir, which is something that only I can do for my students. So I try to, I really try to keep in mind that I don't have all the answers or the resources. And like I was saying earlier, I, at every single point in the step, am talking to a huge network of people to get the support to do what I do. Um, For this choir project I just finished, I was thinking back. I started it a few weeks ago. I I called a friend from college to ask him his advice on syncing the videos and the audio. I spoke to several people from one of the churches I sing at in LA, who do this all the time, they're churning out this stuff, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 a week. So they obviously have gotten really good at it. There's no reason for me to sit here on YouTube, trying to solve all the world's choir problems. Mm-hmm. When I have friends, I can just text or call and they're so gracious and so helpful. And artistic people tend to be really, really good about wanting to collaborate and help. So for me, that's been the lifeline is just keeping in mind what is the goal and what's the best way to get there. And if I leave my ego out of it, maybe I don't even need to be involved with that. Maybe I can give the kids a great experience by just sending them to classicsforkids.com and letting them play mm-hmm. with the orchestra game um, that I couldn't design and don't need to design. Um, but maybe it is something that I need to be involved with. And in that case, who can I talk to who's already an expert, who already knows how to do this in their sleep, who could maybe give me that support? And then the flip side of that is who can I reach out to who has maybe expressed a little interest and anxiety about a project where maybe it's something I know really well and I could help them with. So I think it's really important that we maintain that community and that we are not afraid to reach out and ask the experts for help and to offer that where we can.
2: I love that. Just what you're saying about like, put your ego aside and ask for help. Like, I'm just so glad that you're on our team. Krista, I know that some of uh, you like your old fifth grade team would be very salty to hear this, that you're with me now, but
3: I'm just so happy. There I'm you, really, yeah. I'm really happy to be here with all of you. Yay! <laughs> it's like the first time, I mean, there, there was creative work involved in the classroom, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a totally different shift. For me, it's a different way of thinking. It's a different uh, sort of cultural vibe with the other music teachers. And um, I think it was the change I needed after a long time in the classroom.
1: It's a complimentary, but a different um, end goal for the kids too, uh, Mm -hmm. which is what I appreciate about it. It's like, I think that we, we have to have both, uh, you know, people who are, um, you know, focused a hundred percent on academics and getting the kids, you know, to learn what they need to learn. And I love getting to be the person to open up the creative side of the brain so that they can better absorb all of that stuff and it sticks and they get to process it in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They need just like us. We all have to have
3: hobbies and things that we do outside of work. Mm-hmm. They need they need that break at school for, from just so much academics.
1: Yeah. And when we can when we can come in and we can open up that creative side of the brain and help lower their stress levels, they get to uh um, at- you know, we we get to go from just uh, just delivering information um, and having them, you know, regurgitate it to actually creating their own thing at the end of it. <clears throat> I don't know. I really, I've always enjoyed. I used to teach writing and technology and all of these other things, and it it was so fun to get to begin by delivering the info like in a very linear fashion and then I'd give them their little test and they'd ace the test and um felt really good about that and then it would be like okay now apply it and make your own thing and uh and it was amazing how half the class would freeze and go wait what wait how many facts do I have to write down or what do I study for this um so it's just I don't know it's just a a whole different ball game when we're when we're trying to get them to open up to being creatives. That's a really good point, Crystal, because I
3: think that I had a seventh grader actually this year who, um, she was hesitant to participate. And when I spoke to her, she said, well, I don't, I don't want to pursue music in any way. I'm not interested in performing. I don't really Mm -hmm. care about music. Um, and what i what i thought of was kind of what you just said mm-hmm. even if and i think this is something we need to do a we need to do our work to get this across to families and mm-hmm. to kids even if you don't want to play an instrument or sing in a choir or anything uh experiencing music education it can help refine those skills that you're definitely going to be able to apply to other things that you do want to pursue Mm-hmm. If it makes you more comfortable improvising musically, you might be more comfortable taking risks in your writing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might be more comfortable speaking in public, or you might be more comfortable creating and failing. So I think that's a great point, because it doesn't have to just be music for the sake of music. It, it, although that's fantastic. It's important, yeah. It's important, but mm-hmm. it also transfers, I think, into other um, areas.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. I had a really great conversation with our colleague Hans Chamberlain this morning about it and how he would like to to get a better process for assessing, um, you know, us actually delivering and packaging and disseminating that creative process so that we can do what you just said, Krista, and communicate it to our administration and our parents who are like, well, you know, playing the trumpet's not my kid's thing, so why should he be in music class? Right. So to be able to say, like... We're we're not just you know here to you know, help empower those kids who want music to be their thing for the rest of their lives. Even if they never walk into a music class again, they know how to think independently.
3: Absolutely, and also mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's maybe the function of your classroom for this kid that year is just that it's a safe place where they are accepted and they have mm-hmm. a little safe community. Um, maybe they struggle with math or writing but they can succeed in music class. Yeah. So I, I think it is important to relay that it's not just about whether you're gonna be in band or orchestra the rest of your life. There are so many different facets to this, and there are so many reasons that every kid should have this, this experience. Absolutely.
0: You know, I find it fascinating that of all like, all the subjects that are out there, like you don't take re- writing to be a writer, or you don't take math to be a mathematician. <laughs> And yet for the arts, which are so open-ended, students come in with the expectation that, oh, I only do art because I'm going to become an artist or music to be a musician. It's like, I wonder where that, that barrier comes from. But that's, that's, that's a great point and a good sticking point for what we should try to, reach, to our, reach out to our kids for.
3: And I wonder if some of that is that people are not totally familiar with... The process behind the creation. We have these instant, like so many YouTube videos. There's so much media that kids are consuming and they see the end product. And it can be very intimidating to see this super polished performer on YouTube. Um, And it looks like they're just, you know, whipping out a song on their guitar, but actually they've put in hours and days and years and all of that to make it look that way. So I wonder if part of our task is then to kind of peel back, like pull the curtain back on that and show kids it's actually accessible to you, but it's not going to end up like that overnight. It actually does take time, but it's okay. We can do hard things and we can get there, but it's not going to just be an instant thing. Cause I think that if that's the idea they have, then it's really discouraging. It's like, why would I try that? I can't do that. Um, so I think that's part of our task is to kind of expose that and to give kids a better idea of what it means to actually be a musician because we can be teachers, but if we're not also musicians, then we're not really living an authentic experience of what it's like to have to perform or to get stage fright. We can forget that. But if we are careful about putting ourselves in situations where we are forced to perform sometimes or sing Mm -hmm. in front of people or play piano on YouTube when you're not that great of a, p- a piano player it can help you
1: empathize with your students I think um, or completely change the way your job is done and put it online uh-huh. utilizing multiple technological platforms that you're not familiar with that. <laughs> I think it's great that we're taking these risks because it, yeah. it puts us right
3: back in their seat and yeah. then we can really move forward with, with kind of showing that process.
0: Yeah. I swear I've said every single time like, since Quarantine teaching. I have constantly been reminded. This is how my student feels like.
1: Yep. Every day. Yeah,
0: every day
3: yep.
1: Failing forward Failing Jonathan, forward. I would not okay. know
3: that by looking at your stuff <laughs> Your your videos are so nice. They're so polished really well, really good you. stuff
0: uh, There are, needless to say there are several hours of outtake out footage <laughs> Just put it that way. I think that is something that's really cool uh, about this generation, even though it's much more intimidating to see so many people, so many young people on YouTube perform and see, oh, that's the polished product. How awesome is it that we can work with kids that have the accessibility to create? Because mm-hmm. like, I know for myself, like, sure, I, I had a tape cassette recorder. I could r- make music that way. But there, like, it was, it, now this generation has so many tools to actually create music. Um, and I'm I'm just curious, how can we tap into that, I guess? How can we like, encourage, it? at least from my perspective, I've always taught from like a very like, communal aspect and it's very good and it's very important, but um, I don't know, what you're sharing is very, like, is, is good to the point where I, we, I feel like we should tap more into technology more and more, just because kids have that access.
3: Yeah, I, I think that we we run the risk of trying to do a direct swap. So in the classroom, or in, in uh, at school, my choir will sing together, and it's a live experience, and that's amazing. And we talk about being a cohesive group and listening to one another and all of those amazing things. We can't replace that at home directly. We can't recreate that. I can't sign into Zoom and say, one, two, three, sing, and it will just work, because of all those issues with technology and bandwidth. But what we can do is say, since we're not singing together in person, we're going to explore the side of music production that um, involves things like studio work and listening in your ears and clapping so we can sync the video later and all those little things that are behind the music that they hear. Um, so it's, it's a really amazing opportunity because if we were meeting in person, they would never get the experience of any kind of studio work. But when we are at home, we can do that. They can see every step of the process. And I guarantee there are a lot of kids who are maybe too shy to do that in person to perform, but they would love the idea of doing audio engineering work or music production. And those are, those are opportunities that I think we should not miss out on as we're spending this time at home. Mm.
2: That's exciting.
3: Would you argue
0: also there's a place for that also in the classroom?
3: I think there is. And I think we might not have seen that. Like, I didn't really consider that as an option until I've been home. And I'm seeing that kids are showing a lot of interest in that. And it makes me think maybe this is something that moving forward, we should consider. There's there's this trend in education to to make kids talk and speak in public and perform and really put themselves out there. And I think that's great. And I think we also need to hit up our introverts and make sure that they're taken care of and that, they, um, that every kid can find an outlet that's right for them and that makes them feel successful and makes them feel like they belong in the musical community because we don't all have to be you know, performers.
2: Mark and John, I don't know if you- Oh yeah, you've got something Mark.
4: No, it's okay. Go ahead Zoe.
3: <laughs>
2: well Krista, I was gonna I don't know if you wanted me to share this but you are a trainer in Microsoft Teams. <laughs> and like, I had no idea that would be the most relevant PD I ever went to as a teacher.
3: Like it's, that one. <laughs> that, when was, that was like, was 20, like 20, 20, 20, 2017 maybe? Yeah. yeah. A few years ago. It was brand new app. I was excited.
2: <laughs> I've used all of those. Well, I haven't, I still haven't set up my notebook. I know you talked about it. I haven't done it yet.
3: Um, Yeah, a few years ago at Rosebank, I had this big like, we're going to all get on teams because it was driving me crazy getting the the email. It was the emails with the attachments, you know, and you make a change to it and then you have to send it back and you change the file name a thousand times and it makes you crazy. So we kind of tried to get the whole staff on board and it was funny. It's funny how much stuff has changed in three years because at the time it felt like this major shift for people to move their their documents onto the cloud and now we have like five-year-olds on zoom and everybody's <laughs> on teams and my, my my kindergartner is using teams and it's just it's just funny you never know <laughs> you never know
0: i find it funny that emails being like the most like the first thing on the internet pretty much like Nothing has changed. Like, it's such an antiquated approach. It needs to be revised. I'm glad like, that there are programs like Teams, but I'm so frustrated with emails.
3: Oh, the emails have tripled or quadrupled in quantity. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yes.
4: Well, I mean, it's super important to hear what every single company that you've ever shopped at is doing during COVID. So like, right. <laughs> it's really important that you need to know that
3: right absolutely i like when i'm getting like you know advertisements from dishwasher companies <laughs> and yeah. like, here's what we're doing during this time yeah bravo
0: i'm sorry that you're suffering right now but while you're suffering can you That's give us totally. some money that'd be some, that'd be great
3: here's a 35 <laughs> percent off coupon <laughs> uh,
4: if it's okay with everybody because it's okay with you i want to kind of circle back to this idea of it's okay to fail, and I want to kind of get your thought process on, as a teacher, how do you demonstrate that, like, with you, because I know that there tends to be pressure from administrators where teachers need to perform at a high level all the time, and, like, that's just unrealistic, but, like, I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm the only person, like, when your administrator walks in your room, there's a slight, like, oh, like, I need this lesson to look like it's going well, and one of the things that, at our school, that what's kind of a focus on was this ability for kids to explain what they're learning. Mm-hmm. And if they're not explaining that, then that's looked upon as negatively. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of you know a fail. And so just as a teacher, have you seen it done well? Like, what do you do when you have to like kind of fail forward in front of your students?
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's big. And I know that feeling that <laughs> the administrator walks in and they always they always pick the kid with like the IEP who's like struggling and doing their very best, but maybe are not able to explain the learning intention with the right words or whatever it is. And you feel like you I know that I have taken that on personally, like I must have failed. Um, and in the music classroom, for me, I. I experience this a lot with playing piano. I'm not a piano player, um, but as a music teacher, you do need to be able to play a little. And you got to be able to at least handle a little piano. So um, i that's one area that I'm very aware. I'm very um, upfront with my kids. I say, look, I'm still learning how to play piano. I'm practicing every day. I've been practicing for many years, and I'm going to continue to practice. And it's really incredible when you're honest with kids how supportive they are. Because if I play a bad chord, they're not they don't care. They're like, this is amazing that my teacher has to struggle with something just like I do. When I take my piano lessons, it's hard for me. And my teacher is having a hard time. And she's still a musician. And she's still legitimate. So um, I think that it's just a matter of being honest and and kind of standing in your truth and knowing what what your challenges are and being honest about them. Um, Nobody can fault you for that. But Again, if we spend all of our energy trying to, trying to relay this picture of perfection, it really drains all of, the, all of the energy that you could have used to actually improve or to actually do your best because you're so preoccupied with how you're going to look or not messing up. So I think as hard as it is, I think it's a matter of kind of getting over myself and just Being honest with my administration with my kids. Hey guys, I'm having a hard day today. So we're gonna take it easy and we're gonna play doggy doggy, you know, for the last ten minutes. (laughs) Because I really can't handle dealing with X, Y, or Z today. I think that kids respect that and I think that adults respect that too.
4: Well, thanks. I appreciate that. That's great. Like Yeah, honesty is
3: Yeah. So Mark, I'm curious because um Rose, um, Montgomery, to me, the kids there were, were probably the most receptive um, to any of the music I did with them. They, were, they seemed to really respond well, like noticeably, more than any of the other schools I've been at. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really, I think it's exciting that you're there. And I'm, I would love to see kind of where it is now and where you've taken it. From where it was several years ago when there was no music at all happening. Um, the campus hadn't been modernized. It was a different thing. Yeah. And so I, I think it's really exciting and I, I want to see what you are doing with Montgomery. You're going to love this, Krista. <laughs> Can you
2: give us I mean, the update, Mark? Like, tell us about Montgomery. You guys are doing
3: incredible
4: um, things. Yeah. We, just like every other school, like the kids, uh, they get music uh, once a week. Um, general music, during, during the teachers' collab. And then we have since um, become a turnaround art school. And so it's a partnership with the organization Turnaround Arts, and we use arts as kind of an intervention to help turn around the school. Over the last few years, um, test scores have increased every single year, and since wow. 2015, and that's when I came. And there are lots of things that go into test scores going up, but I think music and art is a contributing factor to that. Um, I think it was last year we were one of seven schools where both our language or our English and our math school scores went up, whereas every other school either went down or it stayed the same. So, like, that was really cool. Uh, Music wise, like, we have a school band, uh, we have a ukulele club for our fifth and sixth graders and third and fourth graders. Um, I had a choir. Our choir is by far the weakest thing that we have musically oh. because that's just my weakest thing. I'm not a very strong singer or confident teacher it's your singing. area of growth it is my area of growth, <laughs> absolutely um last year we did a musical we were planning on doing one this year with turn on art so it's it's been really cool um to be a part of it and there are the kids are super receptive um yeah. teachers are are very kind they they love it they they recognize it and so i don't I don't feel like I'm on an island. Um, I mean, sometimes you do, but it's just because you're the crazy music teacher at your school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but my principal was very supportive. We're in the transition of getting a new principal, right? Um, so it's that'll be interesting to see how that looks and what that looks like. But um, it's been it's been cool. I was actually uh, I was I had sent a message via class dojo to all the class parents that I had an access for that class. So it ended up being around 200 parents. So I sent a message. I didn't get a ton of responses back. I got maybe about 50 to 75. So maybe that is. Um, but one of them, um, the mom was telling me that her daughter had gotten out the guitar and started learning it. And so I was like, well, I should probably like to put something together or send her some stuff. And she's like, you know, I honestly think it's because like you've inspired her because she hasn't touched the guitar in years. And so like it was just, it was a cool thing to hear and to see. And like, The families who are in it, like they're really in it. And then like you have those families who aren't. They're just that's not their thing and their kids are they're, you know, they don't they don't love music class, but they'll do it and still enjoy it while they're there, but they're not gonna think about it past, you know, past them walking out my door. But uh yeah, it's been really fun.
3: That's that's so cool. Because it, it that's like a really big turnaround. From from where it was, you know, maybe seven eight years ago, mm-hmm. that's a that's a big that's big progress. Kudos. Are you saying it's like a
0: good, a turnaround of the arts? Maybe.
3: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> wow! Thank
2: you, and,
0: thanks right us, and everybody.
4: We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> but first, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of where it is, and um, you know, I appreciate you. You starting that because when I first got on, they were telling me about this, and I was like, "I don't want to start a choir because I'm terrified <laughs> of that." So it took a while to to get a <laughs> started. But... kids love to, to th-
3: sing though. If you honestly, I think we sometimes I feel like with formal music education, we we divide music into kind of high music and low music, and and even elementary choirs don't escape that. So I think that that it's important. And one of the things, um, one of the main facets of kind of culturally responsive teaching is meeting the kids where they are, so they feel represented. And a lot of times the high music doesn't represent our kids. And so I don't see anything wrong with choosing a pop song that the kids love and singing it in unison, (laughs) like with a track If they're singing and if they're smiling and having fun and if they feel like they belong and if they're associating music with something positive, we've done our jobs. And there's always room for more formal education and exposure and broadening kind of what they know of as as good music or not good music or whatever it is. But I think if we can meet kids where they are and just get them singing, then we've, we've done a lot just in that.
4: You know, it's interesting that you say that. I saw something floating around one of the social media platforms. um, And it said, like, an English teacher wouldn't let a kid read a comic book for, like, English. Why would I let a kid listen to a pop song? And I read that, and I struggled with it, you know, because, you know what? Maybe that comic book is the only way that that kid's going to engage in reading. And, like, you know, it might not be Shakespeare, or the pop song might not be Bach, you know? but. Mm -hmm we have to get them interested at some level, you know, and you like, he's like, we have to meet them at, at a, at a certain pot. And like, if a kid is not want to sing around about an alligator named Alfred, and they're completely checked out. I don't know why they would, because I amazing, but like, but like, if, if that's the music that they respond to, then like, isn't it our job to, to try to try to keep them engaged, you know?
3: Well, and can't we use that as kind of a bridge? It's not mm. that we uh, we need to keep them in this, you know, pop music, junky chocolate chip cookie music for the rest of their time with us. But if that's the way in, and then we can build their trust and build their buy in once kids trust you they will sing what you want them to sing and they won't even notice it happening suddenly they will love alfred the alligator but they might not have if you didn't engage them initially um in a way that that puts them at ease so it's not that we have to stay there but i think that that that's the way to to move into that direction sometimes in some situations definitely in la if i had started talking about like bach and beethoven they'd be throwing banana peels across the room. But instead, if we look at a poem of Langston Hughes or um, someone that they can maybe feel that they have some shared experience with, then they start to trust you and they start to realize that you actually have their best interest at heart, that they matter, and it, it kind of goes two ways. They're thinking, why would I trust you and listen to your stupid music or sing your stupid music if you can't even validate mine? So I think it's really important that we do that work. And I think that it doesn't need to be this big, intimidating, professional children's choir to do that. I think that if we're getting kids singing, then we're doing a great job.
0: There's two things that you bring up. One, like, how did the child bring in the banana into the class to begin with? But secondly,
3: Um, (laughs) it actually was, it's a thing. Oh, it's a thing. (laughs) Okay. Well,
0: I was trying to make (laughs) jokes here, but uh, um, no, but secondly, like you, you're right. As far as the representation, like about high music versus (laughs) low music. Um, and I think that's a podcast in and of of itself, like how much we try to stress, uh, Western European 18th Mm -hmm. century music onto children of a 21st century diverse cultural background is about, I, it blows my mind. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, Just, I've thought that, but to place in those words definitely contextualize it in a different way.
4: You know, and like, uh. what good does it do for us to, to kind of poo-poo on the music that the kid likes? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do them any good because then that causes that more of rift of like, oh, well, my teacher doesn't get me, they don't care about it.
0: I remember this, I don't know if you guys saw that, this, the, the, the old film, Mr. Holland's Opus, do you guys see that? Yes, no? Yeah,
3: yeah. I remember um,
0: that. He's not a great father, but uh, beside the point. Um, there is a bit, it's been a long time since I've seen the film, but like, he's talking to this clarinetist who's like, struggling trying to make music. And he plays, like, I think it was the Beatles, and he's like, why do we like this music? It's because it's fun. And we get so stuck into this mentality of this is what good music should be. It's like, but like it, you like it. Let's dig into why we like it instead of trying to say that we are, I think this is the biggest issue I have as, as teachers in general. Like there's this mentality that we are, we as teachers need to have our stuff together. And also we need to be better than the students, but the students like what they like. Why not meet them where they're at? I don't think I have have anything cohesive. Just a lot of just thoughts.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And like, why? Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm going on a run, I'm not going to sit there and like, you know, listen to Dvorak. Oh, I rock
0: rock my
3: up all the time. Um, And and I'm not going (laughs) to listen to like heavy bebop and Charlie Parker either. I'm probably going to turn on some really bad pop music because it works for me. So I think there's a place for all the music. Everybody can have a seat at the table. It doesn't take away from anybody's music. It doesn't, doesn't, you know, detract from anything. Um, I think that we need to use all these different uh, types of music as, as different as tools for serving different purposes. Just like we differentiate in the classroom, I think that's another way we need to we need to do that with music.
4: I like John. What you said. Um, find out why they like it. Yeah. I think that that can lend itself to so many different things because if you find out while well, you like this particular pop song because you can sing the melody and the melody is a simple, you know, five notes, four notes, whatever it is, that's why you like it. Here's some other things that kind of are are simple in like that, and we can now then create the, the ostinatos, the things around that where you bring in that music, that that language, that vocabulary, um, and then they have them singing other thing but that's interesting that you say that there's a youtuber uh, his name is charles cornell and uh he did uh, uh an examination of a couple of songs and one of them was the ariana grande justin bieber stay or stuck with me stuck with you i don't know it's a song that they came out with and he was kind of looking at it and it was a uh, looking at the chord progression and one of the things they he said I was like well you could also use this chord progression and then he played through it and it sounded amazing but that's not what they did but like that's the thing on music is you could take it in so many different ways so yeah you could use this one where you go into the two and the flat four five and then one you know but they didn't they they stuck to a you know a four five, one chord progression whatever it was so that's interesting and i like that just trying to build the vocabulary of why they like something find what you have in your teacher tool belt to meet that need because then you are teaching them what you have while validating what they have, feeding them where they're at. I'm hearing the beginning
2: of an SEL lesson.
3: (laughs) It's so hot right now. (laughs) You're right on point with all the trends, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. When When we want a kid to try a new food. I don't know personally. I have two kids. I don't dump it all on their plate, so that's all they see. I try to put it with something they like and just give them a little bit. And if they don't want to eat it, just leave it there. That's fine. But with repeated exposure,
0: (laughs) (laughs) open up. Sorry, Jeff.
3: (laughs) (laughs) With repeated exposure, they usually will try it and then eventually like it. But we don't want to like shove it down their face. We got to find a good way in,
4: or even expose them in a different way like our daughter's 19 months and we tried cucumber the other night she didn't like it brianna had had it in circles without peeling it so today during lunch i cut it in spears and i peeled it still don't like the cucumber <laughs> next time we'll try something else you know but, like, maybe we'll add a little salt and pepper but yeah
3: salt and lime they usually like that mm-hmm. try it done give it a shot
0: after this <laughs> shoot
3: you're welcome Thank you. <laughs>
0: That one's for free, Mark. Next time. You guys
2: should go. One free. Um, Krista, did you bring a Spicato item? You know what? what? Oh, did I, I miss something,
0: John? You know, yeah, you did. Put up. Okay. because... Yeah, you know, Mark needs to subscribe to you know Krista's whole approach and also to you guys listening, you guys ought to subscribe to us because we do appreciate everything you've done for us. This community would not so have grown bad. if it wasn't for you. So thank you so much for that. However, the community can only grow if there's more publicity. So guys, please go to your podcast listening app, be it iTunes or whatever it be. Leave us a rating. It helps so much to grow this community. Also, if you watch this via YouTube, like, subscribe, and you know the drill. But also, uh, if you could send us an email at com, that's a great way for us to answer your emails. We will respond. Um, I promise you that. But, uh, yeah, if you have any questions or concerns or, you know, ways to help Mark out with feeding food to his baby, you know, send it to chaoticcarmicclassman.com. We only have cucumbers, you guys. That's it. She <laughs> so, won't yeah. eat them.
1: Imagine working with an advisor who isn't tied to specific brands. Mission Trails Financial has a fiduciary responsibility to act in the best interests of their clients by providing independent, objective advice. Their mission is to help clients accomplish their financial goals. As Joe Vitale once said, a goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. Do yourself a favor and set up a time to chat with Mission Trails Financial. Visit www.missiontrailsfinancial.com or call 619-419-0238 to schedule a call. You'll be glad you did. We believe that leaning on professionals is how we get ahead. Check out the program notes for more information.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now? Picado? Picado.
3: My spiccato item is in the other room. Is there any chance I could go grab that?
0: Oh, go for it. Yeah. We'll cut this part out.
3: I brought a bag of um, colored pencils. Nice. And um, not only do they make good rhythm sticks, but um, a lesson I always did in the fifth and sixth grade classroom is, actually I've done it even with second graders all the way up, um, is just to play music and give the kids a little bit of background about the cultural aspects of the music or the musical, whatever you want to focus on, and have them draw what they are hearing. Um, I used to play the music of Carlos Nakai, He was a Native American flute player, and I would read a story about how he would go out in the morning and look at the mesas and kind of that geography landform. And if you listen to his music and take your pencil and draw it across the paper and move it up when you hear the music go up and move it down when it goes down, you end up with that kind of landform on your picture. Mm -hmm. And then they would color it in and I would just kind of have the music on. And it was um, they always responded really well to that. So I think that that's something nice that kids can do at home with any music. Draw what you hear. Any other colored pencil ideas,
1: guys?
0: I think the first rule I'd set is make sure they don't throw the pencils into the ceiling. I've had too many of those situations with high school.
1: (laughs) There Uh, is that.
4: I know, but, you know... know. Can you imagine, like, a first grader?
0: They'll just find
3: another projectile. (laughs)
0: Sixth graders are prone. I've had sixth graders that haven't done that, but I can imagine them doing that for sure. Um, Or stabbing... They love stabbing the... the, Mm -hmm. The floor. It's like they love, so it's I, could, I remember back when you had tape. Remember the, the box tape you used to do? You bring box of the tape. Yeah. We talked about it in, this, in your episode. Well, they love stabbing the tape. Used to.
3: John has some unresolved pencil issues. <laughs> <laughs> Is it You're not spot? wrong?
0: <laughs> I don't know if you're right, but you're not wrong. I'll just put it that way.
3: <laughs> it's okay. Uh, we all have our things.
0: I had a 6-Grade one stab himself with a pencil on accident. Anywho, this, that's beside the point. Yeah. He oh. tossed the pencil in, in, in the air and it like, landed right in. I like, just, uh,
3: natural consequence.
0: Yeah. He learned. <laughs> oh
3: There's my a story. God. That'll out. teach you. Mm-hmm.
0: But, uh, back to the spiccato. Sorry, Crystal. <laughs> you listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that as far as the whole uh, good lines and, uh, following along with that. Um, last week we did my bed Is a boat for the, uh, round of the week. And I think I'm doing a lot of like found sounds to help create soundscapes. I just love the sound of like hard, like multiple objects in a contained area to help create like a sense of, um, well, it depends on what you're trying to create, but uh, there is a, it's like a, a nice thud to it. So if maybe like if you wanted to do something, I'd really want to do with my students is a fully artist project. And um, after being, you know, in quarantine, this is like, I feel like that'd be the perfect thing to do next year. But like, what sounds, uh, you can create a lot of cool sounds with just pencils in a plastic bag, and then whatever is on display can help create, uh, can help accent that, um, that visual. If that made any sense whatsoever. I said a lot of words.
3: <laughs> Mark's lost. <Nope. laughs> you lost him. So you I. Lost
2: me. I'm John. I really want to try making instruments like like model violins and violas and cellos for fourth graders that are at home that might not get that intro to strings. Uh, I've seen quite a few like paper violin things for younger kids, but I am really curious about how to, uh, adapt that to older, like fourth graders. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. I am
4: thinking that you can assign each colored pencil. Um, a pitch and you solfege <coughs> with this and you break kids up in a group so you have kids have their own colored pencils and a hodgepodge like it looks like you have in a bag where it's not like well there's six blues and eight greens like it's just there's um, so you give them a bunch and then you assign like dough is red ray is orange is yellow and then the kids have to annotate a song using their pencils mm-hmm. um, as the
3: and it can match the Boom Whackers.
2: Ooh. Mm.
4: Maybe that's why Doe Right?
3: dough is red. red. Gray <laughs> is orange.
4: Subconsciously. Right, did. It's good, Mark. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> there it is. That
3: is good. I like that. Oh, well,
2: okay. So we have been trying to do a, a quarantine song of the week. And Krista, would you mind if we use your virtual ensemble, Count on no, Me?
3: That'd be great. Okay,
2: and can you give us kind of like the description of who
0: is in that video? It was the elevator pitch.
3: Yes. Um. So, "Count on Me" by Bruno Mars and Philip Lawrence and Ari Levine. Um. Yeah. So, my my Dragon Harmony Choir was uh. It's sixth through eighth grade. It's a small group, about twelve kids, and only only I was only able to get nine of them to send in videos, but um they each sent me their little video and it was a lot of work but I'm glad that we did it because um, I think the finished product is really something to be proud of and um, my hope is that the kids felt some sort of um, still had that kind of feeling of connection and community even though we've been at home um, and a sense of pride that, that they contributed to this beautiful piece of art. So I hope you enjoy. I-
1: Team Song, Song of the Week. If you ever find
0: yourself stuck.
3: The cello player, his name is Liam, and um, Liam plays cello at one of the churches that I sing with, and mm. um, he's, he is amazing. He's so good, and his dad, Andy, is on the guitar there, and Andy okay. helped me with this track. We were just chatting. I said, hey, I want to do a virtual choir. Um, I need a good song to do with my with my kids, and he actually suggested the song. And so he said, you know what? I will get to work on the cello parts. And so he wrote those out cool. and he got Liam to play it. Um, and it was just a fun collaboration. Yeah.
0: I'm impressed how clean they sound. Like, clean. right now I'm in the editing process of my own virtual choir. I was like, <laughs> Your, it sounds so clean. I am impressed.
3: Yeah. So that's. I
0: Chris does better than you do.
3: You know how there's this high and low t- t- conversation we had about music, like this music is good, this music is bad. I'm in can. I think there's also a similar con- uh, conversation that happens around music production and processing, and I think that um, certain tools are really looked down upon. Um, yeah. But I think that it's an art. Audio production is an art, and it takes a lot of practice to really hone it and to make it. You want to honor the. Um, singers original sound and you want to make sure you're putting out a really good product that they feel proud of and uh, what kind of nailed this in for me is that I sing, I sing with a church up in Santa Monica um, and all the musicians there are like pros really good musicians and all the singers are really good and when they switched to virtual choirs I was talking to the director he said I run every single singer through uh, pitch through flex pitch doesn't matter who i don't care if it's the best singer in the world we're running them all through flex pitch and the reason is that we can't just sub we can't it's not a substitute for a live choir so to make it sound good you really do have to engineer some stuff and it doesn't take away from what they've done it does it in no way subtracts from what the kids have done i think in an, it actually it honors their effort more when we make sure to make them sound the best that they can so it's th- there was some there was some engineering there but also the kids gave me great they gave me great tracks to work with
0: two things first off when you said there's kind of like a high and low that juxtaposed against what mark was saying is like i what i was expecting you to say after is like well john i'm on the high level of teaching and you're on the low level of teaching that's how it is
3: no <laughs> not that, at all but, like i said i don't know what i'm doing i'm just joking. john everyone this whole
0: knows john. That, so <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have to say it <laughs> But on top of that, like, no, I, I think anyone who has the courage to dabble into um, online teaching, they recognize there is an art to engineering. Like anyone who tries to create a YouTube video, it, whether or not, like, if they were, you know, not, if they never dabbled into technology before, they definitely get it now. There is a huge mm-hmm. art to it. So, um, yeah, it still sounds amazing. I'm still impressed.
3: And I have stuff. to, my dad, um, my dad did a lot of work on it, too. He He's kind of an audiophile. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm lucky. I worked with him a lot on it as well. It was collaboration. A lot of people involved.
2: Amazing. So is this the part, John, where we
3: well, say, yeah? Uh, yeah, I was, yeah,
0: was going to smooth that, but yes. Uh,
2: <laughs> I'm just going uh, Christ- to throw a little speed bump in for you.
0: <laughs> no worries. Krista, so thanks for joining us. Um, if people wanted to you know, ask you questions or follow up on you, like. Uh, are you on social medias? If they, yeah, where are you on the social? I medias?
3: have, um, I have not been on Twitter uh, recently ever since my move, but I need to get back on there. So maybe uh, this would be a good opportunity to do that. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's at Crawford Valency.
0: Okay, cool.
3: So I intend this is a good this is a good uh, catalyst for me. I will be on Twitter at Crawford Valency.
0: Awesome. Is and, are you on Insta as well or?
3: I don't use Instagram, no. Exactly. no. And all then right. YouTube at Krista M. Crawford.
0: Well, cool. Mark, how about you? How, where can the people find you? You can
4: find me on Twitter, on Instagram, or YouTube, all under Mr. Kume.
0: Zozo? Uh,
2: you can find me at Ms. Kumagai on Twitter and Instagram. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: mean, I know you're posting videos, right? Where can you find those videos at?
2: Thank you for reminding me. Yes, you can find me <laughs> <laughs> at Rosebank Panther Music on YouTube.
0: Awesome, awesome. And you can find me at Mr. Seligman, M-R-S-E-L-I-G, M-A-N. You can also, that's on the Instas, that's on the Twitters, and also the uh, YouTubes. And um, you can also contact us, Chaotic Harmony, Um on Instagram, Twitter, at chclassroom. All of the social media platforms they use that, except for YouTube, that's Chaotic Harmony Classroom. Um, if you want that to be changed, go at Google. I'm sure they'd love to hear your responses. Um, also, as mentioned before, you can send us an email, um, classroom at gmail.com. If you have a question, please do send us stuff. Or actually, you could send us fan mail. How about that? Send us a picture. I uh, don't know. Let's <laughs> change it up.
4: Uh-huh.
0: Us, exactly. Draw us with colored pencils. Draw us with colored pencils, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Bye. Bye. Awesome. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> well,
0: cool.
1: The Chaotic Harmony Podcast is a joint project between Crystal Pridmore, Jonathan Seligman, Zoe Kumagai, and Mark Kemer. You can find us online at chaoticharmonyclassroom.com. You can email us at chaoticharmonyclassroom at gmail and let us know what you think. Give us feedback about what you would like to hear in future episodes. We're on all the socials. Find us on facebook.com slash chaoticharmonyclassroom. You can find us on Twitter at chclassroom, Instagram at chaoticharmonyclassroom. And you can even find our episodes on YouTube. Chaotic Harmony is the name of our channel. Special thanks to Brian Pridmore for his help with production and equipment. www.pridmorea.com